It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome. You're watching Unheard, the channel that seeks to combat herd mentality and seek out independent thinkers wherever we can find them. I'm happy to say that we have one such joining us down the line from Los Angeles today. She's called Barry Weiss, and she is a famous substacker, former New York Times opinion pages editor. Let's say hi to her. Hi, Barry. Hi, Freddie. So excited to be here. I'm a major fan of Unheard. Well, that's great. So let me just introduce you a little bit to our viewers so they know who you are. So you were one of the key people brought in by the New York Times to bring heterodox or different perspectives to the opinion pages. So you were commissioning things and editing and also writing. And it became quite difficult for you there because of the increasingly illiberal sort of atmosphere. And eventually, last summer, at the height of the craziness, you left. Is that a fair summary? I've never put it so concisely. That's that's exactly Happened. And since then, you have launched a Substack, uh, which is a, a independent platform to for fans of writers to subscribe directly, which has gone incredibly well. You've got a large number of subscribers, and you're building that into a whole new channel. So the thing I want to get into today, Barry, is yes, a bit of a key question that I think both of us think about a lot, which is, is there any sign that sanity is returning. Uh, this for me is kind of bouncing off a uh, Andrew Sullivan piece last week where he was noticing that some kind of big liberal publications, the New Yorker, the Atlantic, had published long essays that were sort of almost self-critical and, and, and certainly hesitant about some of the um, ideology on the left. And I just wondered, do you share his view, zooming out, that we are in the beginnings of a return to sanity? Yeah, I mean, I think it depends what returning looks like. I do not believe that these liberal institutions that essentially, you know, upheld the kind of post-war consensus, like all of these sense-making institutions, our publishing houses, our Hollywood studios, our newspapers, our magazines, in no world do I think they are going to return to normal. But do I think that people are getting aware to the hypocrisies and frankly, this sort of dead endedness and the nihilism of the politics of wokeness. 
I absolutely do. What I where where I am placing sort of my hope and the thing that gives me tremendous optimism is watching as parallel institutions get built. That's where I think all of the energy is. That's where I think the heterodox voices are. And I think increasingly, and we're talking the morning after the Met Gala. I don't know to what extent your audience follows the Met Gala, but watching the spectacle of you know the premier, uh, I would say, standard bearer of woke politics, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, show up at an event that cost $35,000 a seat, I believe, wearing a white tight bodice, just gorgeous dress that says tax the rich on the back, while all of the staffers there are having to wear masks. I'm sorry, like there's no way that you can watch that spectacle and not think this is insane. These are the same people who are trying to tell parents that their two and three and four and five-year-old children need to spend all day at preschool masked and yet here they are, you know, at, at this, you know, ridiculous, opulent spectacle um, and and flaunting the very rules that they want for the rest of us. So it's when kind I of, see it's Marie Antoinette levels, it, exactly. It's Versailles like. And when you see that kind of my, my wife was joking that she's going to personally exhume Tom Wolfe from the grave so that he could write about last night's event because it was just so rich. <laughs> and frankly, the more we see the Gavin Newsom's, the governor of California, dining out at the French Laundry, one of the great restaurants in the world at the height of COVID. You know, the more that we see Nancy Pelosi getting her hair done at the height of COVID or Obama throwing a 400 person birthday party for himself in Martha's Vineyard when we're supposed to be, you know, in deep lockdown. And last night seeing AOC at the Met Gala with the tax the rich dress, the more we see, I think, of the just rank hypocrisy of these standard bearers of this particular worldview, I think it just hastens the return to sanity. But as I said before, I don't think it's going to look the way that it did before. I don't think we're, we're, we're I don't think we can rewind the clock and go back two years. I think we're entering a new era of sort of a political realignment, one that I think is really exciting and that I like like writing about. So some people today were saying that actually, you know, wearing the dress was a hilarious, ironic statement because she was, you know, doing what all good people who want to change the culture are doing. She went into the heart of power with a, with a message they didn't want to hear, etc. But what I'm hearing from you, which I think I agree with, is that the privilegedness, the privilege of these people is somehow intertwined with the objection to their sort of holier than thou or, or moral righteousness. And those two things are hard to hard to see together. Is, is, do you think that's true, that this sort of the mix of apparent moral virtue and this very high regard for your own morality with this kind of overt privilege in all of those examples you just gave, do you think that's the thing that's going to kind of bring it down? I just think the tone deafness of so much of it and the gap between what the worldview professes to deliver and care about and what it actually looks like in practice. There's just such a chasm between those two things. I think one of the things that COVID has made just impossible to ignore is that this thing that felt like an abstraction, perhaps to many people, the gap between the elites 
and the, the, the rest of us, the gap between the haves and the have nots has become literally impossible to ignore because you see it in these photos to see, you know, Democrat from New York, Carolyn Maloney in this gown. And it's, I, I think it will become an iconic photograph. And in the background is essentially a wall of staffers for the event completely covered up. I mean, in all of us, I think, who have ventured out in places like Los Angeles right now have had the very strange experience of being waited on by people with gloves and masks still while we're there enjoying our natural wine. Like something's got to give. And I think that if anything, COVID, and maybe this is a silver lining of it, has sort of hastened a confrontation with that divide and with the, and, 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 and what it means. So you mentioned Versailles earlier. Is it not, do you, on this question of COVID and, and what's happened in the last year around this year and a half in, in this pandemic, is that some of these acts, such as masking up and showing how cautious you're being, have moved from being just sort of common sense public health measures to being something quite performative, where you, it's an act of service and it's, an, it's, it's a decorum, where it's sort of has a formality. So the reason all the waiters are wearing them is to show how respectful they're being. And, that, and it's become a, almost a sort of weird part of the status game. There's a phrase that gets thrown around a lot, which is virtue signaling. This is quite literally virtue signaling. And it's become, I mean, to me, it's become almost like comical in how irrational it is. The idea that, you know, I need to wear a mask when I walk into a restaurant wear a mask as I sit down at my seat. I am told by the restaurant that I should only remove it when I'm eating and drinking, but then I'm removing it and sitting in a packed restaurant with lots of other people eating and drinking. So which is it? Because at some point down the line, and I should say, you know, to be quite clear, like I'm someone who took COVID seriously. I got vaccinated as soon as I could. I think that there was obviously lots of rationale behind a lot of these um, public policies. But at some point down the line, I feel like we've lost sight of, you know, the science here. And it's become a lot more about signaling what political tribe you're a part of. Um, and I think that that's, you know, it, it's just impossible not to, 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 to see that. You're talking to us from Los Angeles. What's the truth, would you say? The people who are most virtue signaling and um, would be double masking and, and making sure to tick all the boxes. When you're privately with those people and the masks come off, as it were, are they different? Do you, or do you know people who are like that all the time and you know, entirely consistent? Is there a kind of public-private change? That's a really interesting question. I, I have seen the public-private divide, I would say more so on questions of politics and culture war than I have on something like masking and COVID. But perhaps it's hard to tell because the people who are deciding to, you know, be alone in their car or be alone on a scooter or be alone on a beach, double masked, are probably not people who are going to hang out with me. So I don't really know what they're doing in, in private, to be honest with you. But I think that the, the interesting theme that you're getting at there is that there is, you know, this very strange um, divide between what people profess to believe 
in places on places like Twitter and and the rest of it and what they actually say around a dinner table. And I think one of the reasons that I appreciate Unheard and why I'm optimistic, you know, at the sort of birthing of a lot of these new independent channels is I think what lots of us are trying to do is to have those private conversations out loud and in public and to erase the divide between what people really believe and want to talk about and what you're supposed to say to sort of accord with the narrative. That definitely feels true. I mean, if we if we rewind the clock a little bit to even just last July when, when you resigned, I mean, that was in a way the high point of things you can't say. The, the Black Lives Matter protests were ongoing. A lot of people were concerned about elements of that, but it was totally... Uh, impossible to talk about in a normal way. The kind of Trump uh, obsession was only increasing towards the end of his term. And then, of course, lockdowns had just happened and the COVID thing. And it was all this sort of maelstrom. And it was it was a most extraordinary summer. Yeah. I mean, it. I think looking back on it, hopefully, I feel like I feel like the fever has broken. Well, there are several fevers have broken. And it, yet yeah, it felt like it felt like a moral frenzy to me, to be honest with you. Like it felt like people really um, could not think rationally and, and for lots of understandable reasons. So I'd love to just pass out a couple of those themes if we could, because we I just chucked three in and said that last year, you know, we had Trump, we had COVID, and then we had the BLM, the, the sort of race issue. Let's just pull out the Trump one for, for one second, because I really felt that come January when despite everything he left things would calm down and there would be a sort of step change in the political atmosphere and that essentially people who had disliked him so strongly would find less reason to be politically aggressive towards people they didn't agree with because the big threat was sort of gone it didn't feel like that necessarily happened um what's your experience of that has has the has the intensity of the Trump era ebbed away? I do have to say, and this is this is purely anecdotal from my own life, that the kind of um, inability to talk across the political divide between family and friends, that does feel like it has died down to some extent, and thank God that it has. Um, but I think that a lot of the a lot of the political changes that Trump was an expression of, populism, neo-isolationism, um, <laughs> divides between the masked and the unmasked, the red and the blue, you know, the people who are, you know, that pro-vaccine passport and the people who are deeply skeptical, those are all here to stay. Um, and so I don't think we should be surprised that the culture war, to the extent that it's a culture war, I think it's like much bigger than that. Um, name implies, that's here to stay. So I'm getting from this a little bit of optimism. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. 
Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter. A health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Barry, are we allowed to feel optimistic? Because actually... It does feel like the answer to the question I posed in the beginning of whether some sanity is returning seems to be yes, even if it's pockets of it or a, or, or a slight change in mood. And, and of course, the success you've had with your uh, new platform must make you feel like there's a lot of people out there who want to get past these sort of dry divisions that weren't really making anyone any wiser and want to have a more interesting, more positive conversation. I would say that I feel deeply optimistic, but the thing that makes me optimistic, and this is, I think, one of the genuine real divides, is the question among people who are dissatisfied, the question becomes better to spend our time reforming old institutions that have sort of betrayed their missions, or better to spend what little time we have on this planet building new things. And the more I've thrown myself into the latter, and the more I have sort of seen all of the other people who feel the same way, who are trying to build things like new schools, I met two of them last night, new university, new mag magazines, new publications, new, 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 the more optimistic I feel. And I will say, you know, just speaking very personally, when I was at the New York Times, I felt so, so pessimistic and also isolated and bad and lots of other things. But I felt really, really pessimistic. And the further away that I've gotten from that publication and also from that kind of claustrophobic blinkered view of the world, um, which still believes that the old divisions are the relevant ones today, um, just the, the better I have felt, the more free that I felt. Um, and frankly, the more connected to readers, I have felt. Um, I just don't worry anymore about whether or not what I'm writing or commissioning adheres to the orthodoxy. I don't I don't think about that at all. And that's made me feel really, really good. So do you think then it's about not having a political view? Do you I mean, is that what you would claim that it's actually an allegiance to kind of skepticism to questioning to seeking out to, you know, whatever is less heard and less, less out there? Or, or, or do you do you do you own a political viewpoint? 
I think the thing that I'm really interested in right now is the sort of the new, like I keep saying this phrase, but I don't know how else to say it. The new sort of political realignment. Me and Glenn Greenwald disagree about a hundred million things. We disagree about more than we agree about. But I think we would both come on here and say to you, the old sense-making institutions and their sort of constrained way of looking at the world, their lack of, like the, the fact that they just simply don't mirror the world as it is to their readers is a problem. And that's, that's what I want to do. I mean, in a way, it's very old school. I want to hold up a mirror to the world as it is for my readers. And that is something that a lot of these places with far more, you know, far more resources than me really aren't doing a great job of at this stage of the game. But what does that realignment really look like then? I mean, once at the moment, it feels like there's a sort of what could be quite a temporary um, alliance of people who are in favor of free expression and exchange of ideas and don't want things to be shut down and, and all of that. But if we get through that moment and that free expression is allowed again, what happens? Everybody goes back to their corner? Or do you think we've been changed somehow through this process that somehow, you know, through going through this battle, you'll forever have something in common with Glenn that you didn't have before? Do you think we... Do you think it, this has actually created new groupings that are going to survive, even if the kind of free expression comes back? I just think the first of all, if free expression comes back, that that'd be great. I mean, we'd cross that bridge when we came to it. But I guess I just feel that the urgent questions are so different now than they were a decade ago. Like the question about the power of big tech in all of our lives. You know, is that a left-wing concern? Is that a right-wing concern? I don't know. Like, to me, that's an urgent concern that I don't think the old political divisions have a clear answer for. The role of, you know, big pharma, the question about whether or not, and I think this is an obviously urgent one, given the past few weeks and the absolute catastrophic withdrawal from Afghanistan, the people I hear expressing the view that, you know what? The US shouldn't be the world's policeman anymore. And that entire war was a horribly catastrophic error. They are just as likely to be left-wing as they are right-wing. Like, I, I, all I'm saying is like, that's what I'm interested in, is wow. Like, that view is coming from places that are, according to the old sort of divisions, on opposite sides but they're speaking exactly the same language now. Why is that? What does that mean? That's, those are the questions I'm being drawn to. I mean, so you probably would get some actual Republican politicians agreeing with both of those positions, and you probably would get some left Democrats Many. as well. So I mean, I, I would say they are actually reflected in the establishment to some extent, except they are sort of the left and the right. It's the middle that doesn't seem to see the world the same way. Do you think that's fair? I'm not exactly sure. Where I'm you're thinking. There. I'm thinking of people like Josh Hawley on the yep. um, right of the Republican Party, if it if it is the right, um, and then you might have someone like Elizabeth Warren on the left of exactly. ish of the Democrat Party. Both of those would be very anxious about the power of big tech. Uh, both of those would be very 
um, skeptical about foreign adventures and sending troops overseas at this point. I agree. And that isn't that a novel development? I mean, that's that's a huge development that isn't yet reflected, I don't think, in the people who still believe that, you know, the future of the Democratic Party looks like Chuck Schumer's worldview. It just doesn't anymore. Like the. Here's another way to put it. The the political energy in this country right now, and maybe this is relevant in your context too, it's not in the center anymore. It's just not. It's the political energy in this country is with, and I don't want to say the extremes, it's not necessarily extreme, but they're with the sort of the kinds of people that you just mentioned. On the right, it's with the J.D. Vances and the Josh Hollies. Um, and on the left, it's with the AOCs and the Rashida Tlaibs and Ilhan Omar. That is a enormous transformation from where we were politically in this country a decade ago to say nothing of two decades ago. Like, and what does that mean? And what does that mean? And for someone like me, who's always seen myself sort of in the center, I'm like, wow, like, I don't even know where I fit in anymore. Let me throw one final factor at you, um, Barry, if we try to unpick all of this, which is the generational factor. Because both of us are, to some extent, at the at the slightly older end of what could still just about claim to be a millennial. I think there was a, a term that was called geriatric millennial that someone... Yeah, was... we're elder millennials. And I don't know if you can see my grays, but... <laughs> no, we you know, can't. Building a we can't. Is, you know, we can't. I, I've, I've fully transformed the geriatric uh, part <laughs> of that. But the question is, do you think there's a generational thing? Because I, I feel this, and I don't know if you do too, that actually our sort of generation sits in the middle in some sense. And so ha maybe can understand uh, how older people view the world and don't think that's bad and evil because we've, <laughs> we lived in that world. And we just about have enough connection to some of the younger people to understand that they're not bad and evil either. What do you think? Is there, is there a special role for, for you and your kind in healing these divides as the, the generational middle person? I have a very deep sense that it is so hard to build things. It is so, so hard to build healthy cultures and healthy institutions and, you know, like all of this around us. It's really difficult and it is so, so easy to tear things down. And I guess the thing that has made me feel older than anything in the past few years is the tear down energy, which by the way, doesn't just come from the younger generation. It's sort of like everywhere in the culture right now. Um, I don't relate to that energy at all. I, and it might be because, I don't know, it might be because of who I am. You know, my wife and I are always remarking about the fact that, wow, like we, we own a home as two women who are married, you know, in an, in an American city, like those things would have been inconceivable a generation ago. And the fact that, you know, we can walk down the street together and not be scared of our safety. Um, and like, that's an amazing and miraculous thing. And I'm just so aware of all of the work and 
building that went into making my life possible that I tend to be skeptical of people that say, ugh, this is imperfect. Let's get rid of all of it. Let's tear everything down to the studs and start over. No, like let's look out to the world and acknowledge that for all of our incredibly deep flaws and problems, I would not trade my life and the circumstance and the luck of my birthplace for anything in the world. And for me, that's just something that I'm always trying to hang on to um, because it's just really, really easy to focus on the things that are flawed and not focus on all of the things that we have that we want to preserve. If I ask you, what does the happy ending look like? What does a world where these new institutions have been built and we fast forward 10 or 15 years and the culture is healthier, what does that look like? I think liberalism is a really, really good thing. Like liberalism in the classical sense of what that means. I think a culture that decides, hey, you know what? It's better to judge people based on their character and based on their deeds and not based on the amount of melanin in their skin or the place they were born or their station in life or the sins of their parents. Hey, you know what's great? You know, not believing that people are American because of, you know, some notion of blood and soil nationalism. You know what's really great? Um, believing in individual liberty and of freedom of thought and conscience. Like those things right now, there's they used to be taken for granted in this country. Now they have come under sustained assault from lots of different directions. And for me, what would be an unbelievable success, and I have no illusions that this will come anytime soon, is a return to an appreciation for those values that have made, you know, Western civilization the the most free, um, progressive in the genuine sense of that word in all of history. And somehow we've lost sight of that. And I guess one of the things I'm focused on is trying to get people to focus back on those things again. Barry, thank you for talking to us. Thanks, Freddie. Thanks, Unheard. Wow, some soaring rhetoric there from Barry Weiss. I almost felt she was going to ask us to cast our ballot for her in some future election. I'm sure that's not on the cards, but it was great to hear her perspective. Funny that many of the things she was saying there at the end, the importance of liberalism, of negotiation, of treating people for the content of their character instead of their skin color, would have seemed really quite establishment, quite ordinary some years ago and now seems strangely heretical to say. We've come a long way. Thank you to Barry for her time and thanks for tuning in. This was Unheard. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.